It's time for the Car Doctor on AM 950 WROL. Got a car question? Call us at 617-770-3030. That's 617-770-3030. Now, here's the car doctor, John Paul, on AM 950 WROL, the spirit of Boston. Saturday morning, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Car Doctor Program on AM 950 WROL, the Spirit of Boston, or AFM 100.3. If you're listening in the Boston metro area, you can tune in and uh, see what's see what's going on on the FM channel. Of course, you can always find previous programs on my podcast channel, which is johnfpaul.podomatic.com. And uh, if you've said, hey, there's been no new programs on there for the last couple of weeks, you're right, because the programs have been here. And I wasn't here. I was uh, at my kitchen table the last two weekends. So, uh, But I'm back here, back in the studio today. And uh, we have a guest lined up for today. We'll talk about that in just a minute. And then um, we'll um, go on some of the uh, things that are in the news, talk about some some cars that have driven lately. I on the ride home from I was I was up in Maine yesterday. Uh, the ride home from the ride home from Maine. Uh, Junior D'Amato called me on the on the way home. And uh, we talked a little bit about what was going on in the industry, as well as uh, some of the some of the challenges he's facing in his shop today with some some of the uh, new technology, as well as a, a problem car he was working on. So all all kinds of uh, all kinds of stuff worth talking about. Uh, with us on the phone is AJ Bame. He has a podcast, among other things. But the title of it got to me because anybody of a certain age. When you see the title Ford versus Chevy or Chevy versus Ford, it kind of gets your it kind of gets you thinking a little bit. AJ, good morning and welcome to the Car Doctor program here in Boston. Hey, thank you for having me. So, uh, so the title uh, uh, Ford versus Chevy uh, it, has there ever been a rival ri- rivalry rivalry? I can't even talk. Uh, <laughs> that uh, uh, you know, we talk about that, and I, I mean that's um, you know Hatfields and the McCoys, right? Oh, it's the granddaddy of all rivalries. I mean, it's the greatest business story of all time, the greatest business rivalry of all time. You, you know, there's nothing bigger. And uh, when you when you were putting all of your work together on this, what, what made you decide that this was a topic? Well, you know, um, I, I actually started this project to be in my next book. I write um, narrative nonfiction books. And I just finished up writing this book about the first four months of Harry Truman's administration. I was going to start on this um, book uh, called Ford versus Chevrolet, mm-hmm. and um, I ha- and I still might do that. I don't know. Something else came up, but I had all this material, and I was like, "This would make an amazing, you know, podcast slash sort of radio show." And remarkably, it worked. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and what did you know? Whenever you write a book, or whenever you do research, or whenever you kind of just talk to people like we are now you always discover things that you that really surprised you is there as you were putting this together is there some stuff that you know you went holy cow i never i never knew about that well yes yeah, certainly i would say the the best the way the best way i can answer that question is to say that what struck me as amazing about this story and why i wanted to tell it is that 
um, through every era you go, if you talk about it, uh, this rivalry um, chronologically, every era gets bigger and more exciting with higher stakes as you move through the 20th century. So the, the 1920s was a fascinating time, and that's when Ford and Chevrolet first locked horns. Ford was, you know, Henry Ford was the richest, most famous man in the history of the world. Nobody had ever done anything like he had done, and nobody believed that any other car company could catch up. And remarkably, during the 1920s, Chevrolet did. In 1925, I think, Ford was selling Chevy outside uh, 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 two to one. And then a year later, it, it flopped. And meanwhile, you have to discuss, like, the whole idea of what cars did for human society in the 1920s completely revolutionized everything. But then you get to the 1930s, and the story gets even better. You, know, you have union strikes and riots and, um, you know, the Depression and what that did to the car industry and, and then, of course, the war and so on. And, you know, and uh, Henry Ford himself was not necessarily a nice guy. He, he sort of was at first. He has this strange narrative arc where he, he, he starts out, you know, as this poor tinkerer working in his backyard, no money, can't afford much of anything. He's got a son, and um, it's just sort of a regular guy. Yeah. And um, and then, uh, then he becomes, like, spectacularly famous and rich, and he's thought of as this altruistic new messiah of the machine age. And then by the time the 1920s and 30s come around, he's getting old, and he starts to behave very strangely. And um, strange things happen in in in, uh, in Detroit because of him, and he, you know people are confounded by his strange behavior. And yeah, like we, like you said, not always a nice guy. Yeah, I, I I understand he would like show up at his employees' homes and you know see if see if they had alcohol in the house or something you know weird weird stuff like that you know got that involved with his employees so um, yeah it, it, interesting thing and and all the rival car companies of the time. They, making cars wasn't necessarily a profitable business. They all they all ended up in bankruptcy, right? Well, some did and some yeah. didn't. You know, jeez, uh, David Dunbar Buick. Okay, he created Buick and and, and porcelain, apparently, or something. Yeah, is that right? Yeah, yeah, he, he, yeah, he died. Yeah, a- yeah, he he was the one. He was the one that was able to figure out how to make porcelain bathtub fixtures and bath fixtures and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Fascinating. Ooh, yeah, he died a pauper. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, um, one car historian once had this great quote saying that, you know, all of these guys, they used to gather, and this is part of the podcast, at this this bar called the Poncho Train Hotel, and uh, and show off their, you know, their ideas early, early in the, in the, in the, um, in the auto age. And all of these guys like David Dunbar Buick and Henry Ford and, Billy Durant, they are all, you know, fighting to see who's going to be the most successful car. And some of them were spectacularly wealthy and famous, and mm-hmm. some died paupers, like David Dunbar Buick. I don't think Louis Chevrolet. I don't think he died with much either. Yeah, no, sort of, sort of amazing. And as you know, kind of take us, you know, a little bit chronologically, kind of where you started and sort of where you ended with the 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 Ford versus Chevrolet rivalry. Sure. Well, we, we begin um, in 1903. Henry Ford creates his first um, little car that I think he eventually sold for 200 bucks. It was it was this rudimentary, strange-looking automobile that made out of a little engine and mostly things he could buy at a hardware store. So it begins there, and then you have the rise of Henry Ford, and then um, then uh, 
you know, everybody thinks that Henry is uncatchable, and then Chevrolet comes along. And really, the story is, is it's a story uh, as much about people uh, than it is as, as it is about cars. Then you get the 1920s, and lo and behold, Chevrolet surpasses Ford. Then you have the Depression years and the, and the Union riots, and then you have World War II, in which Ford and Chevrolet were partners. And, you know, I'm sure your listeners know that the automobile industry did more than any other industry to win World War II. Um, then in the post-war years, you have the 1950s prosperity, and all of a sudden, what what the car means to the American public during the 50s. And then the 60s is probably my favorite era because then all of a sudden you have the baby boomers coming up, you have the pony car wars, the Mustang, and you have racing. American Americans, in fact, globally, people just become spectacularly fascinated with racing, and and racing begins to revolutionize how cars are built and marketed to customers. Um, then things get dark in the 70s and 80s, and then all the way up to the downturn in the economy. These were not great years for the American auto industry, but at the same time, you have Ford and Chevrolet continuing to duke it out, but now they have to fight against Volkswagen and Toyota. And now what we're seeing today is something that no, I mean, few really anticipated. I don't know if that's true, actually. But uh, the whole autonomous car thing, and these car companies are having to become technology firms, and they're having to compete on a whole new level. They're literally reinventing the wheel. That's what's happening right now. It's fascinating. And, you know, I, I would say that survival for these companies is far from assured. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of interesting. Um, my full-time job is I work at the AAA, and we've done a bunch of surveys. And, and recently, the Press Association that I'm involved with in MIT did surveys. And what all the surveys have shown is the majority of people surveyed actually don't really trust autonomous vehicles, nor do they want to own one. And the vehicle manufacturers are spending billions of dollars on technology that really the public is kind of going, you know what? You know, I don't think so. So that I think I mean, it'll be interesting to see where it all goes and in, in kind of, um, you know, as time moves on, as, you know, Audi and, and Lexus and Ford and Chevrolet all put, you know, vast resources into this vehicle autonomy um, to see what's really going to happen. It's uh, it's a pretty fascinating thing, and I think uh, you know we we look at that and we look at uh, electrification of the vehicle fleet. And yeah, this is this is very interesting. And then Ford coming out a couple months ago and saying, you know, I don't think we're going to be in the sedan business anymore. It's you know people want SUVs and people want pickup trucks and and uh, you know maybe we're not in the car business. And considering you know as you pointed out, Henry Ford started off building a car. He didn't start off building a truck. It's true. And, you know, one thing I can say about autonomous vehicles, you know, it was 15 years ago. It was was 2008. No, it was 10 years ago. I remember I was sitting in a bar with a guy, with a movie producer, and he was saying that he's making more, he was at the time making more and more content thinking about uh, telephones. This was a while ago. This was 10 years ago. And I said to him, you know what? That's crazy. People aren't going to watch TV on their telephones. And he's like, are you nuts? And, and what I'm saying, I'm trying to illustrate the point that people may not think highly of autonomous vehicles. They may not think that this is something that they want in their driveway or anything, but it's going to happen. It's inevitable. And um, the reasons why, it's so simple to explain why this is happening. Human being, uh, Computers are going to glitch, right? Yep. Computer-controlled cars are going to crash. There's without a doubt. But the computer-controlled cars are going to glitch far less frequently than human beings. It's just, you know, 
We know this. Yeah. Oh, no. so, oh when I, you know, when I, uh, when somebody first asked me about autonomous vehicles, I said, well, at least if the vehicle is autonomous, at least something's paying attention. <laughs> That's funny. It's true. So, but to think of just Ford and Chevrolet having to compete with each other, but now they have to compete with Google and Apple and, um, you know, literally revolutionizing uh, the way cars are built and, and thought of. So what's going to happen is, you know, I spent a lot of time in the Ford versus Chevrolet podcast talking about in the 1920s and even before that, how much the automobile revolutionized human lives, changed the way we eat, we work, where we live, what our homes look like, uh, everything about our daily lives. All of that is going to begin to happen again, and that's kind of scary and but also pretty exciting. Yeah, it, it is. We're talking with AJ Bame, he author and uh, now uh, podcast producer, I guess. Um, and uh, where can we find the podcast before we get? Uh, I believe everywhere, everywhere, everywhere you want. You can go to wandry dot com, and it's the podcast is called Business Wars. It's part of a series called Business Wars. Wandry is w o n d e r y dot com, um, but I believe once it's fully out, which I think it is as of now, it'll be on iTunes and everywhere everywhere you would find any other podcast. Yeah. And are you the narrator of the podcast, or? I am not. I just wrote it. You just wrote it. <laughs> you, know, you make that sound like you make that sound like that's a bad thing. So, um, and and <laughs> do you ever do you ever see do you ever see a day where you know your your next uh, book or podcast won't be Ford versus Chevrolet, but it'll be like Toyota versus Honda? You know, that's a great question. I wrote a book about Ford versus Ferrari in the nineteen sixties, and um, we we talked about maybe turning that into a podcast as well. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, the, the the Ford, you know, if you if you kind of look at the Ford GT40 versus the Ferraris, yeah. Yeah, that was uh that was an interesting time for Ford and you know, some people will say that was, you know, that was one of their golden eras. Oh, for sure. I wrote a book called Go Like Hell, which is about exactly that. And uh um it, that's the that and even I think that the 1960s during of the Ford uh, versus Chevrolet podcast is probably my favorite part of the story just because there was so much going on it was it was a fascinating time golden age of racing golden age of car design you could argue golden age of the pony car wars no that that was that was a time and um and you know maybe it's a function of my age and i'll say people of a certain age you know you you look at you look at the cars of the uh, to me especially the 60s and each one sounded different. Each one looked different. You know, I'm I'm up in a second floor studio right now, looking out in the parking lot, and uh, you know maybe Ford's right because there's uh, it's all there's seven vehicles in a row. They're all SUVs, and they all sort of look like each other, and they're all different. Each one, uh, you know, it's a it's a completely different make uh, for all seven of them, and they all sort of look alike. But that was not the case with uh, you know a, a GTO versus. Uh, Fairlane 500 versus a Mustang versus a Camaro. I mean, those cars looked different. They sounded different. And when you turned the key and started them, they sounded the 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 engines sounded different cranking over. They they just sounded unique. And that's and I don't that's not the case with today's cars. That's true. You know, one of the fascinating things about the 1960s it was an era when people were doing things that had never been done in all sorts of different industries in music and in, in sports. You know. Um, and in cars, uh, if you think about stock car racing at the time in the 1960s, you would look at the cars and there were, you know, all kinds of different vehicles and you could identify which model was which model. Now, when you look at NASCAR, you do, all the cars look the same. You really have to focus and try to figure out 
which car is a Ford and which car is a Toyota. And and they actually kind of raced from start to finish. They didn't have these sort of starts and stops and and teams that you know you know somebody described uh, today's NASCAR as one step away from uh, from uh, um, you know WWE wrestling. <laughs> I could see that. Never thought of that before. <laughs> yeah. So, so kind of inter- interesting stuff. So, uh, you know, it, it's the uh, it's the um, Ford versus Chevrolet podcast. Uh, you, you can find it, like you said, find it anywhere. Um, it's uh, it's it's always fascinating to to listen to. You know, listen to podcasts. I, I find I commute about an hour and 15 or 20 minutes each way back and forth to work. And if I can find a good podcast to help kill some time, and you mentioned vehicle autonomy, and you said, you know, uh, you know, computers are going to glitch a lot less often than humans, and, you know, people don't necessarily, you know, want autonomous vehicles. I was um, going around Boston yesterday, not even through Boston yesterday morning, and I was stopped in traffic for an hour and a half, and I'm like, boy, I would like to have a self-driving car right now where, you know, I could either be productive while I was in the car or sleep, one or the other, because because that sitting there an hour and a half just waiting for traffic to move, um, you know, just just was just was not pleasurable. And I've often said to people, there's, there's, uh, there's probably nothing I like better than driving, and there's nothing I hate worse than driving. It's one of the one of those things. You get the right road in the right car. It's it's very enjoyable to drive, and you get you're stuck in traffic on a on a Friday morning. Yeah, it's not a lot of fun in that. That's right, and I think that's that is the future. I think that it's going to be sort of a. Um, uh, drivers are going to have a choice. You know, if you're driving down a beautiful California highway, and you know along the coast you can drive your car and if you're commuting into san francisco for the day you let the car drive you yeah no it makes makes perfect sense aj thanks for taking time out of your saturday morning and join us up here in boston such a pleasure thanks all Thank right take care me. bye-bye take care that was AJ Bame. He is a author. You can you can uh, Google his name. He comes up with a bunch of books, um, and uh, you can find his you can find his uh, podcast uh, on Wondery and uh, or Wandery, I guess is the proper non-Boston pronunciation of it. And you can find you can find his podcast there as well. Our phone number six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty is how you get through, and you can talk to us about whatever's on your mind about cars or car problems or what have you. Why don't we take a quick break? When we come back, we'll talk about uh, maybe a car that got me around the last couple of weeks here and there, among a few other things. Again, the phone number six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty. We'll be right back. GTOs. I've got a new machine and she really goes When I pass you on the tracks just you'll know darn well Been beat by a porcupine VHFL Tagging it up now You better be
And welcome back to the Car Doctor Program, 617-770-3030, 617-770-3030. Uh, when, like I said, I was driving home last night, I was, um, yesterday yesterday morning, well, started off in the morning, I suppose. Uh, periodically, probably every four, six to eight weeks or so, I get a call from a national public radio station up in Maine. And to go up and uh, and go up and chit chat about cars with the host, as well as uh, Jamie Page Deaton. She's been on the show. She's the auto editor of U.S. News and World Report. And um, yesterday, they uh, on the way up, I guess they tried to call me, and I didn't answer because I was driving, I suppose. And um, they're like, ah, Jamie can't make it. Her her dogs are sick, and she has to bring them to the vet and whatever. And I'm like, oh, that's fine. We can we can do it on our own. So we were just sort of, you know, chit-chatting about cars and on the and on the ride home, uh I was on uh I was on uh, Route 128 stopped like everybody else on Route 128 and uh as I as I got on to Route 24, uh my phone rang and it was uh Junior D'Amato called and he said, "Hey, what are you doing?" And we got talking and and, uh, and I said, "What's going what's going on in the shop? What's the challenge in the shop this week?" Because when you run a busy repair shop, there are always challenges. And he said, "Yeah, we have an Acura right now that loses its power steering." He said, "It's perfect and then it isn't." Can and I just interrupt for a minute? Sure. So you just said you didn't answer the phone because you were driving. Probably because I was, I was driving. driving. And then, and then you're now on 24. I'm assuming still driving. Still driving. But you answered the phone this time. Well, and so I don't, you play favorites. Uh, no, <laughs> no. I, I probably on my ride up had my phone set up on Do Not Disturb. You know that whole long yep. Do Not Disturb while driving. And uh, and I think on the way back, I don't remember not setting it that way. But maybe he hung up and called. You know how you if yeah, you, you do that, call you call back. And, back yeah, maybe that's why. So. Um, and my nephew works here, so I always check to make sure he's still employed at the same okay, time. Gotcha. So um, he works at the Middleborough location. So uh, so I said to him, you know, what's going on? And he was talking about different stuff. And uh, and I said to him, uh, yeah, the uh, you know, what's your what's your challenging car this week? Because there always is one. He said, we have this Acura, and it's uh, it, it it has power steering. It doesn't have power steering. He said we found the filter for the power steering pump was clogged we pulled that out and cleaned it we checked the pressure of the pump the pump seems to be doing its job the way it should and he said you know it's a it's a job that's going to wait till monday because um it's it's uh now it's now it's a matter of looking at uh, i guess previously the owner had the seals some seals replaced and maybe even the steering rack replaced so junior's kind of like the the last ditch effort to fix this and that's and that he uh he he's one of those guys that uh, you know a lot of people when they give up go to him and he usually comes up with a solution at one point or you know one one part or another comes up with an answer so um, so he's he's always an interesting guy to talk to and and he was stuck in traffic apparently about fifteen cars behind me so um, and this week coming up I'm back up to Maine on Thursday because it's the New England Motor Press we have this event called our uh, we used to call it our Ragtop Ramble. Because we used to take every convertible that we could find, and we put members of the press in them, and we would drive from the Lars Anderson Auto Museum up to um, Kenny Bunkport, Maine, and it's a grueling 115-mile uh, drive. It's not really. And then we'd go eat lobster and blueberry pie with freshly made ice cream. Two of the three things there sound awesome. 
two out of the three. Lobster? No. No? Blueberry pie? Mm-hmm. Ice cream? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's chicken. Uh, I could do chicken. Yeah. Um, well, just for the listeners, if it's fr- just, uh, I have a saying, if it's from the sea, it's not for me. I cannot eat seafood. And yes, when I travel and they say, you from New England, what, what's your favorite fish? I say, I don't eat fish. And they always say, but you're from New England. And yeah. Yeah. You're not a fisherman. You know, no, you know. no. <laughs> it's I, I'm I, yeah. Lobster, I've always eaten. Um, other, you know, I'm not a big like. You know, some people love swordfish, for instance. I wish I could eat swordfish. The yeah. few times that I've tried swordfish, I love it. It just doesn't love me back. It doesn't love you back. How about tuna? Like real tuna, not no, tuna in a can. No, the only tuna that I can eat, and I haven't eaten it in a couple of years, so I'm afraid to eat it again, is the tuna in a can. Tuna I tried can. fresh tuna once, and again, tasted pretty good, yeah. but it didn't love yeah. me back. I, I'll, I'll let you know, I never had fresh tuna until probably 15 years ago, and I was at a fancy dinner at the, at the restaurant at the top of the hub at the Prudential Center. Yeah, top of the hub. Yeah, and um, they served it, and... and I'm 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 eating it. I said it's a person next to me. I said this is good. What is it? And they're like I don't know. And it, you know, I finally had asked you know one of the waiters. I said what is this? And they said that's that's tuna steak. And I'm like really, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but prior to that, I would have never ordered it. I would have been like yeah, tuna tuna. I don't know. But yeah. it was it was and could have been the atmosphere. Could have been. Real chefs, mm-hmm. um, yeah. But I, I will, uh, I'll let you know that um, years ago, and this was eight, nine, ten years ago, a coworker and I were we were at an event, a police um, police chiefs association event in Falmouth, and it was early December, and we had um, they had they had lunch, and it was a fancy lunch because it was uh, they were appointing new officers of the police chiefs association and it was a piece of beef with shrimp on top of it and she asked the waiter oh can i get that without the shrimp because i'm allergic to sea or allergic to shellfish and um she got it back and she's like i hope they just didn't like scrape the shrimp off it and give it back to me and i'm like i don't know well the story was um it snowed that day. In fact, they, they ended the meeting a half an hour early, and we were driving from Falmouth back to Providence, and it was about uh, it was about a seven-hour drive coming back. And the entire way, um, I'm waiting for her to go into some kind of uh, uh, bad reaction from the shrimp. And she had her she had her EpiPen with her just in case, but that was. Uh, that was uh, I was like oh, this was a bad this was a bad drive and it was and it was one of those things that uh, yeah it was I, I think it, it took us about an hour and forty five minutes to get there and literally we left at one thirty and I think we got back at um, seven yikes she never had a she never had an allergic reaction so that was that was a good news so. Anyways, now we're back to, back to normal car. Back talk. to normal car, car talk, talk and not, not food. Not food. Well, you know, well, you people, drove, so yeah, therefore we drove. We, dro- <laughs> we drove, but you know, people and, and you know, yesterday I was talking. They said everybody has a car. Everybody wants to talk about the car. In fact, two out of the three people that I talked to at the radio station, no, maybe three out of three people had car questions. As soon as I walked in the door, somebody somebody just got rid of their Honda Fit because it got totaled, and they bought a used Honda Element, and they wanted to know what I thought about that. Somebody else was buying a car for their kid, 
and then somebody else had a question about their Prius. So, you know. Yeah. So everybody and everybody has to eat. Yeah, this is true. One form, you know, vegetarian, non-vegetarian, vegan, vegan yeah. whatever you are, everybody has to eat. Um, but, yeah, let's talk about cars again. Let's talk to Robert in Tingsboro. Robert. Robert? Yeah, hello. Hey, hello, hello, there you are. Yeah, yeah, it was dead silence again. Uh, yeah, I was just uh, wondering if you happen to watch the uh, History Channel's week on cars. Uh, get, get. Which one? What's well, the ones with all the uh, different auto manufacturers, you know, like Ransom Olds, for example. Uh, yeah, I didn't. I I've been watching a little bit of something else uh, about the uh, about the uh, the fastest vehicles ever made. The time trials they've been doing out in the the salt yeah. flats, and it was uh, you know Spirit of America and Craig Breelove and all that sort of stuff. They, I yeah, found that, that I found that all kind of interesting. So yeah, they, I guess they've been repeating it yeah. a week. But yeah. I, there was one segment that I'm kind of embarrassed to admit. But they were talking about ransom EOs. Well, I never put it together that the Rio Speedwagon or the Diamond Rio trucks were his doing as well. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, <laughs> you know. Uh, well, Ario Speedwagon might be might be uh, the rock group, the, might yeah. be the band, but yeah, yeah, yeah but but yeah, uh, and and there's some story about how they came up with their name, and I don't remember what it was, but uh, uh, but yeah, no, I I always find I always find that sort of interesting. When I was talking to AJ earlier, you look at those companies, and and most of them dramatically failed. You know, most yeah. of them, most of them didn't didn't do well and and uh it was a it was a combination of things that kept some of them afloat and there was so much competition back then between you know between the different vehicle manufacturers and and almost anybody you could you know you could you could come out with a tingsboro if you wanted and and yeah. uh you know build build a couple of frames and build a body and put an engine inside of it and you could have your own you could have Delorean. your own yeah yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. and you know and i kind of look you know even today you look at cars like you know Fisker when that when those came out and Fisker's back again. But um, I look at that and and when uh, actually when Tesla and Fisker first came out, um, I was talking to somebody. I said, you know, I think we're going to look back in history and you know I think they're going to be like the Tucker. They're going to be interesting. They're creative, but I think at the end of the day, it's going to fail. Yeah. And I was I was half right. I guess well I guess Tesla still hasn't made any money yet. So. Oh, that's all right. Yeah. Uh, he's got plenty. He's but, got plenty. Know, yeah. Like General Motors, you know, with all those five brands coming together, that's yeah. probably what made them survive. Yeah. Ford no, and Chrysler and all. No, that. no, it's it's kind of funny. Somebody asked me about car. You know, they were looking for a midsize sedan the other day, and you know, I kind of thought about the how I would have answered that question twenty five years ago, and now, you know, before you'd say, well, you know, there's you know there's a the Ford Taurus and the Chevy Malibu and the Dodge whatever and the Plymouth whatever and the Pontiac this and the Oldsmobile this. And now it's, you know, now, you know, the kind of go-to cars are the Honda Accord and the Toyota Camry and, you know, maybe a Volkswagen Passat. And, oh, by the way, I think Chevrolet does make a Malibu, you know. You yeah. Don't hear, yeah you, you don't hear about them much, yeah. Yeah, the Kia and the Hyundai, yeah. you know, you yeah. got to throw them in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. because, and that's, and that's the new world. That's, you know, the, you know, the... You know the Kia Optima and the Hyundai Sonata. You know those those are the you know those are cards for today. You're right. It is yeah. it is different. And uh, one other thing before I go, uh, somebody not eating seafood in your staff. Yeah, that would be me. <laughs> that'd be that'd be that'd be, that'd be uh, yeah that'd be Dennis. I am allergic. Yeah, it's allergic. Yeah, it's, that's too bad because yeah you're missing a lot. I mean, I'd rather go without beef than seafood. Yeah. Not uh, Dennis. Dennis is shaking his head. So. 
<laughs> yeah, I don't. I, so, so I, I guess I shouldn't bring in some like uh, some raw oysters. No, no. if I no, could no. eat seafood, I would not eat anything you, that you, looks like you, that. You would not eat yeah. a raw anything oyster? that I can cough up, that looks like something I can cough up. I am not going to eat. Well, you know, so it's basically all seafood then. Huh? Yeah, uh, pretty, yeah. I, I just yeah. it's it's. I can't really say I'm allergic to be. Uh, this is getting a little too weird, but I, yeah. I, I, no, I'm, I'm not allergic. I just have an intolerance. I yeah. it comes that's back a, that's to me. Right. That's okay. That's all right. I, I won't. I won't bring in East Dennis oysters then. Yeah, no, please. I, I like John and Stephanie. Uh, I like their products. I just won't share them with you. Yes, please. All right. Okay. All right. Take care, Robert. All right. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. 617-770-3030. 617-770-3030. Let's talk to uh, our buddy Paul in Braintree. Good morning, Paul. Hey, good morning, Jim, Paul. How are you? Doing? Uh, good. Fine. And um, Kevin brought up something about, about <laughs> we're turning into the food channel. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, I had, uh, back in the 80s, I had a, a bad reaction to to shrimp. Um, actually, I was I had a shrimp dinner and then went to do aerobics. Oh, that, there's nothing. Yeah, really. There's nothing good well, about that. Yeah. No, 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 no. And it was all mirrors. Uh, well, I'll get to the point of the story. Uh, I found out um, after I went into anaphylactic shock and came out of it um, that thankfully, uh, yeah, thank <laughs> you. Um, a lot of the people in the fishing industry were spraying uh, shrimp with sulfites. You know, the things oh, they yeah. used to use on salad bars? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because it would take the black spots off of the shrimp. Um, unfortunately, it puts those black spots on, on human beings. Um, and uh, at a certain age, a lot of people become allergic to, to sulfites. Yeah. Um, although it's in, you know, it's, you can find sulfites in wine and in, in, in other things, yeah. but... I guess it was the amount of it in in, in the shrimp. So I I, uh, I can eat uh, lobster. It doesn't seem to bother me. Fortunately, yeah. my favorite food. So Kevin can give me his share. I'll, yeah, they, I'll there you go. There his you go. share of, yeah. of lobster. But again, yeah. even even though his name is really Dennis, but that's okay. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's, that's, you, you, Kevin. All right. No, no, no. It's okay. It's it's oh, really it's a really Kevin, weird I, phenomenon. People call me Kevin all the time. I have no idea why. Well, that's, <laughs> some, the previous caller I think called you Kevin. Maybe that's why I picked yeah. up on it. Yeah. Yeah, I've listened often enough that I should know. It's, I apologize. That's all right. Um, well, uh, you, you well know, Kevin, uh, Kevin's taking a couple of weeks off, so. He was your old producer. Yeah. The, um, but anyway, so the, the uh, I don't know whether they still use sulfites. I, I had at one point, and I think I still have them, they look like little sticks you would use if you if you had diabetes. Yeah. And you would, um, you would uh, test the fish with maybe some liquid in it. Yeah. And if it would turn a bright pink... It meant that it was very high in sulfites. Um, okay, so to take this back to cars. Um, yes. Yeah. So if you you can get the same sort of stick, and if you you can test the antifreeze in your car, you dip it you dip it in it. It actually measures the acidity and in some cases the uh, the uh, uh, protection level of the antifreeze. So very very similar. I guess. I mean, yeah. it. Um, yeah, it, 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 one's a plastic. I, I don't know. Yeah. They're little squares, you yeah. know. And yeah. I, I don't know how the thing changes and how how they make those little pieces of like almost a gauze uh, yeah. uh, sensitive to. Uh, but as you, you mentioned about all cars looking looking alike today, and you're looking out the second floor and you couldn't, you know, you can't tell one from another. I was um, in Weymouth yesterday, and I was <clears throat> with some friends. There's a little side street, and and. Uh, um, someone's had for years a beautiful 
1954 Cadillac sedan DeVille, I guess it was mm-hmm. a, a big thing. And, uh, and I said, oh, that's a 54. And, and of course, how can you tell? Well, I said, well, the, the 55, the, the, the chrome made a, um, a one sweep like an, like an L, but in the in the uh, fifty four, it was it was a piece of chrome, and then in a yeah. vertical piece of yeah. chrome. They were they were separated from it. I mean, but uh, and, and there were some other basic differences yeah. in the car. But they were really distinctive cars. And now you you know no I mean, no I, I, a, I look out of this parking lot and there's a there's a Mazda Tribute, there's a Toyota Rav four, there's a Mitsubishi Outlander, there's a Nissan Rogue, there's a Honda CRV, and some sort of Infinity. I can only see about half of it. And if you put them, if you looked at the shadows of all those vehicles, and a Ford Explorer, the Explorer is the only one that looks different because it's older and it's squarer. Mm-hmm. But all the rest of them sort of have the same overall shape to them, and <clears throat> kind of referred to as you know, kind of you know, just it's a box with a box on top of it. And that's kind of I have to look at the yeah. badge, you know, the, yeah. the emblem to figure yeah. out what what the car is. Although the other day I was in a stop and shop parking lot, and there was a car right in front of me. It was absolutely beautiful. And I stopped the fellow and looked brand new. It was it was a Kia Spirit or something. I think he said, hmm. and, and it, it looked uh, bigger than most Kias, and it looked somewhat like um, uh, Mercedes Lexus in that, oh, yeah. in that yeah. version. Yeah. It was it was. I think he said the name was Spirit, but yeah, it was that um, right. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Kia, Kia and Hyundai are making some beautiful cars, and and. They're actually designed in a California studio in a lot of cases now, so they take a they take a, a kind of contemporary design and and but they haven't gone too far where the design looks old in a couple of years like like some of the other manufacturers have. So no. yeah, I noticed that the Kia in uh, particular, I guess, is Kia. They will um, appropriate the styles of of other famous brands, Mercedes, oh, yeah. Lexus, yeah. and so you say, well, wait, wait a minute, is that? And and you realize it's a Kia, but hmm. you know, I guess I guess you cannot. Maybe it's a good question. Can you patent uh, a look uh, or a design? Um, no, <laughs> no, because because uh, uh, Bentley tried to sue Lincoln because the design of the new Continental looked a lot like a Bentley, and all they could finally say was, uh, "Well, I guess it's a good form of flattery." Then, because they actually tried, Bentley tried to sue Lincoln and say it looked too much like a like a Bentley. So. Uh, I was noticing Trump uh, yesterday when he came late to visit the Queen, and he got out of uh, uh, a Land Rover. Do you know whether the, they have security Land Rovers now? I, I know when they opened the doors, it was pretty. Yeah, Prob- uh, probably it probably had you know three inch thick everything in it. So yeah, 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 yeah it, it, it it did, and yeah. uh, but it it yeah. is probably in the uh, uh, royal yeah, fleet I'm of, sure, of I'm, cars. I'm sure it is. I'm sure he was disappointed they didn't give him a Rolls. But well, there you go. Hey, Paul, anyway, always a pleasure. All right. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 617 Somebody dropped off, but let's talk to Frank in Medford. Frank. Good morning, Paul. Good morning. Uh, I call about a 2009 Chevy Traverse. Yeah. It's got a catalytic converter problem, and uh, I guess I found out the other day that the... Uh, they do have that as a uh, problem. Uh, it's quite common for them. And uh, I called uh, a custom exhaust place to uh, go to Monday to have them take a look at it. Mm-hmm. He, says, 
Because he doesn't even know if he can do it because he's saying that the uh, converters are very close to the firewall on some of those. Yeah, some of them are. And yeah. it, uh, you might have to take it to a dealer or a general uh, yeah. repair well, shop. And the other thing is catalytic converters are pretty fussy. And when you, you know, you know, there's universal ones, and the universal ones don't always work that well. So sometimes trying to cut out an old one and replace it with something that fits in there, um, I've seen some. I've seen some problems, and that that one has. Um, I I believe there's a left and right side converter on that, and they're depending on what's wrong. Now, why do you why do you think the converter's bad? They come up. Is it come uh, up with a catalytic converter efficiency code or? Well, the. Uh what it was, I guess it's got three uh, converters right. on it. There's yep. one on the yeah, exhaust a, pipe. Yeah, the three-way one and a kind of left and right one, I guess. So, yeah. Yeah, so driving down the road, I saw all our, uh, the engine cut out. And uh, I took it to the garage, and they said that uh, the, the rear bank converter was disintegrating. And oh, okay. Filled up all right. The, uh, third, uh, yeah, that'll converter. do it. That'll do it. So, I was wondering, is the third converter, does that have a sensor on it? Is it necessary? It's not like a California thing, right? No, I, I'm not sure there's actually a third converter on that. I think there's there's definitely a there's definitely a left and right converter. I'm not I'm not sure whether it's really a third converter on that. It 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 may have it may have a um it may have a three way converter at the very end of it, but um and that and that could be the case. It could have the two in the front and the three way one in the back. Um, uh-huh. If that if that back one is all filled with crap from the front one, you're going to have right. to replace the back one too. So, well, I had the uh, I had the repair garage. He uh, he said that the rear back one was empty. There's nothing left There's in nothing it. Fill up fill up the uh, the end one, yeah. and he cleaned it out, and it seemed to run good. For quite a while, but of course the check engine oh, yeah. lights on. Yeah, yeah, because I'd there's say. a there's a sensor in the probably in the three way converter at the back that what it does is it measures against what's happening on the front converter. So there's a sensor in the front and there's a sensor in the back, and the sensor in the front says, "Oh, this is what's going on," and the sensor in the back says, "You did a good job cleaning it up." So if the sensor in the back doesn't doesn't see a big change from the one in the front, it flips on the check engine light. Uh huh. Yeah. Now he was saying that uh, that you have to take it to the dealer or repair garage, the custom exhaust place. He said if if it's gonna if he can't do it, if it's too tight to the uh, firewall. So, uh, but the dealer, I imagine, is going to be, you know, in the stratosphere. Well, you know, it's, uh, it's it's going to be, you know, the converters are like six hundred bucks a piece. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, and labor rates at dealers are going to be, you know, one fifty versus, you know, eighty, ninety, a hundred, and hundred and ten. So, you know, it's going to be you're looking at you're looking at that as a, as an issue too. So, you have you have a you know a couple of couple of things going against you there but um and you know it's 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 a fair it's a fair amount of work so um you know it's uh you know to do the easy converter takes about an hour to do the hard converter the one that's the one you can't see and get to takes about four hours right yeah so i mean you know you're 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 looking at you know you're probably looking at a thousand bucks 
Yeah, it was running a lot better uh, after he cleaned out the. Uh, oh yeah, like, yeah, like the third yeah. Inverter. Ran yeah. fine. You yeah, know what I mean, it ran oh, fine. It, oh, it's gonna it's gonna run fine because now you let the engine breathe. Prior to yeah. that, prior to that, you couldn't let the engine breathe. Dennis just so, Dennis just said to me, Eco Muffler Center in Quincy is a good place to try. E- ego? No, Eco, E-C-O. Eco, Eco, yeah. Eco. And Quincy eco. is a good place to try. That would be better than your friend's uh, <laughs> garage and JP. Well, you could, you, you, know, you could try him too, but yeah. yeah. No, but you got to be careful sometimes with the aftermarket converters. You got to you got to make sure if somebody's putting an aftermarket converter on, you have to make sure that they're familiar with 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 it and how well they work. I've seen too many that you know you kind of buy a converter on the internet or something, and you think it's a good deal, and you spend a hundred and hundred and fifty two hundred dollars for something that should cost five or six hundred, and it seems to work okay for you know four, five, six months, and then all of a sudden the check engine light comes back on. So now, is that only a dealer part? As far as no, there's good aftermarket converters, but sometimes you do have to go to the dealer. And and the other thing now is we're starting to see as cars are getting older, you know, the replacement converters from the dealer just aren't available. So you have to go aftermarket. You just got to make sure it's a good quality product. Oh wow! Yeah, and how would you know that? By, by you, you uh, got to go. You got to go by the guy who's putting it on. That you know he's put them on before. He's had good luck with them. You know, everybody everybody in the repair business, you know, kind of has a go-to brand for things. You know, whether it's, you know, I use this rack and pinion unit because I know they're good. I use this axle company because I know they're good. I use this, you know, I use these brake shoes and brake pads because I know I don't have problems with them. Same thing with catalytic converters and oxygen sensors and all kinds of stuff, so. Yeah, so, yeah. so the name of that place is Eco and Eco, Quincy? Eco Muffler and Quincy. I guess they're on Eco. Quincy. E-C-O, they're on yeah. uh, Quincy Ave and Quincy. They're they're, yep. they're really good. Yeah, Dennis says they're really good. I don't know anything about them. So, or <laughs> yeah, you or, Kev, or Kevin, you know, whatever his name is. Yeah. Now yeah. there's no waivers on that or anything for for a new inspection, as far as you know. what I'm saying that uh, if the repair is more than the value of the yeah, car, yeah, I mean you can you can see about getting a hardship waiver, but that really only buys you about a year. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. How would you look into that? Um, you just got to call. You got to call the um, mass vehicle inspection people, and there's right. a there's a hotline number, and they can they can let you know. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. All Thank right. You very much. All right. Appreciate Take care. It. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. Six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty. Let's talk to Peter. Nope. Peter's dropped off. Everybody dropped off. I guess we we're chatting for too long. Why don't we take a break then? 617-770-3030. We'll be right back. She's real fine, my 409. She's real fine, my 409, my 409. Well, I saved my... Well, I left Kentucky back in 49 and went to Detroit working on assembly line. The first year they had me putting wheels on Cadillacs. Every day I'd watch them beauties roll by and sometimes I'd hang my head and cry. And welcome back to the Car Doctor program on AM 950 WROL or 100.3 FM. 
If you're listening over there or online at uh, WROLradio.com on the app, you can go to iTunes and actually download the app, uh, or you can just save the link. A whole bunch of ways to do it. The one place that seems to be totally falling apart, though, is TuneIn. Uh, the TuneIn apps don't seem to work anymore. I think TuneIn is going the way of the dodo. I think so. I think so. They're still, they still have a fair amount of podcasts on there, but I think as far as streaming live... Yeah, all the yeah. radio stations have gone, like, um, now there's Radio.com, yeah. um, and they're all, like Beasley Media Group is doing their own thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, this is getting too... Yeah, into, too, but, but yeah. yeah, so, but you can find you can find stuff everywhere. Let's talk to John in Wakefield, as soon as Kevin's ready. John, is that you? Yes, it's me. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I got a question regarding fluid changes. I have a 15 Honda Pilot. Yeah. And I got it just rolled over thirty two thousand, mm-hmm. and uh, the sales rep seems to be on me for uh, getting the transmission fluid changed, the differential fluid changed, and the brake fluid changed. In I don't know years ago, I don't remember doing that. We used to get the fifteen hundred mile oil change in 3,000. I'm wondering if they're trying to make up the difference now. Well, I mean, yeah, kind of. Um, you know, it, it's, you know, there are some things that need to be done. Like, you know, periodically we do see things like brake fluid that needs to be changed and things like that. But, um, you know, as far as actual, you know, what's supposed to happen at, at certain mileage, um, there isn't there isn't a lot. You said what's your, what's this car going on at thirty thousand? You said thirty two thousand. Thirty two thousand. So, um, you know, at thirty two at thirty two thousand miles, there's there's not, you know, they, you know, Honda actually recommends it at the thirty thousand mile service. They recommend replacing the air filter if it hasn't been done, uh, replacing the cabin air filter if it hasn't been done, replacing the engine oil. Uh, they do actually recommend replacing the differential fluid, the transfer case fluid, which sort of surprises me. And really, that's... Yeah. Yeah, and even at that, let's see. Um, yeah, let's see. Replace. They want to do the differential, and this is factory, so they want to do the differential fluid. Yeah. And um, do that at every 30,000. And the transfer case fluid at every thirty thousand, which is which actually surprises me as as often as it gets done, but uh, but nothing about nothing about the actual transmission fluid, transmission, yeah. yeah. So yeah. you know you know differential fluids, I guess you know you you, but and I'm a believer in whatever the vehicle manufacturer says. So if the vehicle manufacturer says, you know, do those fluids at 30,000, do those fluids at 30,000, but if it but if it doesn't say do the transmission fluid, I wouldn't I wouldn't bother. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to wait until uh, 36,000. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're, you know, the little a little bit isn't going to isn't going to make any difference one way or the other. So, you know, if you yeah. were, you know, if you waited, you know, a few thousand miles, it's it's not it's not going to it's not going to make any difference. So, um the only the only other thing occasionally um Honda comes up with with some other sort of added things that that people don't think about and um but but mostly it's just it's the common stuff. I mean transmission fluid transmission fluid, you know, you just look at brake fluid changes. They recommend changing the brake fluid every three years. 
Uh-huh. Yeah, that's so, just about what so, I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, so again, I don't think the the transmission fluid. I think is the only thing to be a little extra pushy on. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I know the cabin filter. I checked it. Yeah, and uh, I, I actually had forgot about it. I didn't even know where it was until I looked it up on YouTube. Yeah, and uh, it, it was you know a lot of leaves and debris yep. in there. And oh, dust yeah, they, and, they uh, gets a lot of junk in there. Yeah. Yep. But it was about $16 less at uh, Walmart Fram filter than it was at the dealer. Yeah, oh, yeah. And, you know, and sometimes you'll find that there is, like I was looking at a really inexpensive cabin air filter, and it didn't have the one, the factory one actually was pretty sturdy, and the replacement yeah. one was kind of flimsy, and I kind of wonder, you know, would that really hold up in the same spot? But yeah, you know, frame. I, you know, I'm, yeah. you know, there, you know, there's mixed feelings on, you know, frame filters. Some people think they're great. Some people think yeah. they're not as good. I've always had good luck with them. So yeah. Well, okay. I was just okay. curious about that fluid change. Yeah. No, I would don't... do. Yeah, I I never go against what the manufacturer says, even though to me thirty thousand seems kind of early for those fluid changes. But yeah. if that if the manufacturer is saying do it, do it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm planning on keeping the yeah car, yeah so because I'd... you want to maintain the warranty, and if you don't do those things, yeah. you won't you won't maintain it. Yeah. yeah. And even if it was out of warranty. And you could, you know, if they said to you, you know, say something bad happened, you know, 5,000 miles after the warranty was up, and they said to you, well, did you do the 30,000 miles or 35,000 mile service that included this yeah. and this? And if you said no, yeah. then they have a good reason to deny the warranty. So, oh, uh, yeah, I get yep. the drift. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Okay, John. All right. Thank take you. care. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Let's talk to Peter in Salem, who came back. I, I, thought, you, I thought you left me, Peter. Oh, jeepers. I, I better go. And buy a Ford, or should I buy a Chevy? I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's <laughs> right. one, one or the other. Uh, you right. Know. right. Well, just I, I, a very interesting uh, topic, John, with the Ford versus Chevy. Um, of course, I have to add in the late 20s, uh, one of my favorite uh, people in history, uh, Etzel Ford, is begging the old man to uh, get rid of the Model T, and uh, the Model A comes out late, and... Uh, they never really, you know, the battle at that point was kind of over. Um, Ford, uh, Chevy, rather, yep. just kept making yep. leaps, yep. you know. And uh, how, then, come, uh, how come how come Ford didn't start in alphabetical order and didn't start with an A and ended up with a T? I don't know. Uh, that's a great question. I don't know. T worked out good because it came synonymous with Tin Lizzie. That's right. Uh, right. Um, yeah, I don't know, um, but once he landed on the T, uh, he he wouldn't give up on it. Yeah, Henry. But um, you mentioned uh, you know how his behavior got so weird in the '30s, and he became a Nazi sympathizer. And it was poor Etzel who was the uh, the person up front because he was the president yeah. of Ford officially, and he became the punching bag and. Which eventually, uh, not only the public but in, inside uh, Henry's people, beat the hell out of him, and he dies uh, at age forty-seven. So um, it's really a tragic story how bizarre his hate behavior yeah, was. Yeah, no, it's know? it's you know, and I I met I met the I met the the current Edsel Ford about fifteen years ago. He was a little he was a little odd too. So. <laughs> I think it runs in the family. Yeah, I think so. I think right, so. Right, right, right. 
I met him years ago when I had my first Etzel, and uh, my father sold Chevrolet, and he got um, down below. They had a, at the Heinz Auditorium, they had old cars, and they had the Etzel, and Etzel Ford was there with his secretary, and uh, I was all set to go and, you know, throw him out from the barrier, and he said, no, no, listen to him, and uh, he says the car was named after his uh, his uh, father, wow. and, and it was like, you know, a great, great relationship all these yeah, years. Yeah. You know? No. Yeah. No. No. How how was the uh, how was the show at the Endicott? Oh, it was fabulous, yeah. John. Yeah. Perfect weather. Perfect weather. The uh, <clears throat> the sign that said uh, "reserved for John Paul" blew off about yeah. three o'clock in the afternoon. I, I, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was great. Uh, the wet, for Endicott can be extremely hot and humid. Right. And, uh, uh, last Sunday was perfect for it. So, yeah, no, it yeah. was a it was a good it was a good day for the show, and I always always wish those guys uh, the best of luck over there. So oh, the effort he puts in there yeah. is just amazing, and the results are great. Yep, they had a bunch of cars from the Heritage Plantation, uh, nineteen seventeen Simplex that they got running. Yeah, uh, that that when I was at the when I was at the Heritage uh, uh, a couple weeks ago, they were polishing individual spokes on the on the wheels of that car i've never seen somebody put that much detail into cleaning before oh. but that's must have been where the car was going yes and there was a stanley steamer that was fired up but one of the interesting things he said about the simplex it gets four miles to the gallon wow <laughs> can you imagine that four miles because yeah. gas was probably about eight cents a gallon in 1917 yeah. but, but, but still oh yeah yeah absolutely no there there was a uh yeah, one of the guys who uh, uh, Tom Edlam, who fills in here every once in a while, uh, he says to me, throughout time, a gallon of gasoline cost the equivalent of a silver dime. So what a dime was worth back in the you know 1900s versus that same silver dime today, not a, not the dimes we have, but if you actually look at the value of a dime, it's still worth apparently a silver dime's worth about three bucks, and that's what a gallon yeah. of gas is. Yeah, so that's. Yeah, and when I first started driving, it was around thirty cents. Yeah, and, and I was making a dollar and a quarter an hour. Yeah. So yeah, yeah look at all it. relative. Yeah, it is. It absolutely <laughs> is. Right. Well, all right. So all right. I just Take care. Share that Etzel history. I, I, and, I appreciate that. Okay, John. All right. Thanks. Yeah. Take care. All right. Take care. Six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty. Let's talk to John in Norwood. John. John, 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 John. Yes, John. John. There, there you are. Hey, there we go. Um, I spoke to you last weekend about uh, changing the transmission fluid in a thirteen Civic. Yep. So I did that. Yep. I just got a couple of questions. All so couple, when I all couple quarts plug, of it. Yeah. Yeah. So it took um, manual said two and a half quarts. Yep. So it was around there. Yep. Um, when I pulled the plug out, it had like kind of a film on the magnetic plug. Yeah. Um, almost seemed like it was like metal dust or something. I mean, really, really super fine. Yeah. Is that usual? Unusual? Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's, there's always going to be a little bit of wear and tear. And the friction plates, yeah. the friction plates inside the transmission, um, they're, they work up against metal plates. So there's always going to be a little bit of a little bit of sharing of materials inside there. So that's that's one of the reasons they, they put that style plug in. So, you know, if you saw chunks of metal, I'd be concerned. But if you just saw a little bit of something, I, would, I wouldn't I would worry about it. 
And the fluid was blacker than I thought it was going to be, but is that pretty much... Yeah, I mean, fluid, you know, fluid ages, um, um, you know, and, and, you know, heat affects it and, you know, life affects it. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you wanted to get really fancy, you could leave that fluid in there for another, you know, six or eight months and then change it again. And then you get more of the dirty fluid out and, you know, the yeah. fresh fresh fluid would stay in, so... And I guess the last question is: They have a very specific procedure to check the level. Oh it's yeah, like you got to warm the car up to get the fan to kick on, mm-hmm. and turn it off. Wait at least six, sixty seconds, but no longer than ninety seconds, to try to to pull the dipstick out yeah. and see where they're, it. They're very concerned with overfilling. That's the real issue. Um, so that's. Really, if I if I feel like it's hidden somewhere in that zone, right, it's way better to call it a day than to try to get it right. Yeah, to the top. yeah, 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 so, yeah. Again, the big concern is if you overfill it even just a little bit, and what happens is it's so when you get to the point where the case is filled with fluid. You know, it's pretty it's pretty easy. But then if you try to get just a little bit, you're like, oh, just put a little bit more. Then you're starting to fill areas of the case that are really just designed to have air in them. And there isn't a lot of space in there. So it goes from it goes from sort of almost full to way over full really quick. So, um, yeah, if you have it in the safe zone there somewhere and you followed that specific procedure to check it, um, I'd, I'd be happy right where it is. So. I mean, does the fluid go up and down during this procedure, or is yeah? Is I mean, the fluid like- the fluid expands pretty easily. And the other thing, the catalytic converter, I mean, catalytic converter, torque converter has a little bit of, um, you know, it does. It, it's not supposed to drain back, but it will a little bit. So if you went out there first thing first thing in the morning, checked the fluid after it was running for a few minutes, and then kind of let it shut off, and then restarted it, and then you know, let it sit for a little bit and try it again. You'd find out that the catalyst, the torque converter would actually drain back a little bit more than it should. So they're they're kind of factoring in a whole bunch of things at one time, which is why they're being kind of very specific about when it gets when it gets checked. So, so what exactly happens after ninety seconds? Exactly that. that yeah, it, that it gets it, the fluid level raise rises up a little bit higher than it should. Than, than also, what you want to see. Yeah, yeah. So right, I mean, so is it is 90- it going to is it going to be terrible? No. But is it going to be off a little bit? Yeah, it could be. So, yeah, you know, I would just try to, you know, I would try to stick with, you know, how they recommend checking it and um, and then just kind of go from there. And, and it's funny, even some engines will have a specific procedure. It'll be, uh, you know, shut the car off, you know, warm the car up, let it come up to operating temperature, shut it off, and then allow the car to sit for, I, I remember reading some car, and I don't remember exactly what it was, and it said, let it sit for at least three minutes before you pull the dipstick and recheck the oil because they want to look at a certain amount of oil draining back into the pan to get to get a reasonable level. And the same same theory holds too, true for the transmission. One last question. i got to change belts on my car. So a lot of these nuts that I'm going to have to loosen up, I think have probably been on there for almost 20 years and never mm-hmm. been loosened. Um, is it a good idea to spray? Yeah, spray everything. Spray sort of- spray everything. You know, and um, and kind of you know, it's, it's you know there are some you know there are some pretty good um, penetrating lubricants. Um, there's a new one that I'm not sure how 
how good it is other than it's expensive. And I don't know if I have the name correct. It's like Creel. Um, it begins with a K. And it's supposed to have this fantastic ability to creep into the bolts to be able to help for, you know, lubricate things to get it off. Um, you know, plain old, you know, WD-40 and liquid wrench, you know, they. I kind of actually like the liquid wrench product. Um, the other one is... Um, Blaster is a pretty pretty good one. It has a fair amount of creep going in, so it lets the oil kind of run inside there. And kind of as a general rule with me on stuff that hasn't moved in a long time, I always tighten a little before I loosen just to free up any, you know, sometimes you go to back something off that hasn't moved and rust gets jammed in the threads and then you run into trouble. So sometimes just, you know, just snug it a little bit, spray it again, and then back it off, and that saves a lot of headaches. And wear gloves, so when you when you eventually bang your hand, you don't take off a lot of skin. Yeah, yeah, I'm not good at that though. I I have the, I have the scars to show it. Yeah, yeah, me either. Most yeah. of the time. Yeah. All right. Take care now. Thanks, John. Yep. Bye bye. Bye bye. Six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty. Let's talk to Roy. Roy. Yeah, I've got a question on switching to semi-synthetic. I mean, to full synthetic oil. I've got two old cars. My wife's got a 2008 Optima with a 2.7 V6, mm-hmm. and I've got a 2009 Spectra. And they're both old design engines, and I've been looking at stuff in line. Sometimes it says with old engines you can get oil leaks, seals will leak because they weren't that designed. Is, that is possible. I mean, I was talking to somebody with a uh, no, Acura tl but an older one o2 or something like that and he said you know he he would like to run synthetic oil in his cars but when he does it tends to leak a little oil and then when he goes back to conventional oil it doesn't leak oil so um it is possible i had you know my 07 hyundai i had synthetic oil in it from you know i think once it turned about fifteen thousand miles uh which was probably the first oil change i paid for yeah and uh i ran synthetic oil in it for the entire time i had it and i never you know i never had a problem or expected and that, to see was, that was the 2.7 the 2.7 right? yeah yeah the only That's thing true. the only thing i think on the kia is um it's still a pretty frequent i think kia requires a fairly frequent oil change interval like 3,500 yeah, miles do. yeah, yeah 3,000 yeah. miles i do yeah um, so so spending the extra money you know, if you if you're driving a thousand miles a month for synthetic oil, if you're doing it to for the longevity of the engine, um, yeah. it's a good you know it's money well spent. But if you're doing it with the idea that hey, it can go from a three thousand uh, mile, I, yeah, no, yeah. I wouldn't. The reason yeah. I was thinking, of, particularly on my on my car, the Spectra, is because last winter it developed when, when it's thirty degrees mm-hmm. uh, out, uh, the lifters got noisy. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I don't know what that no, would help. No, the, synthet- the synthetic, I found synthetic oil just by design tends to pump a little quicker. Yeah. And when it does, it it tends to quiet quiet down. The other thing is be very specific about oil filters. Kia, Kia even though everybody makes a replacement oil filter for a Kia, um, I have seen some oil filters that don't have the anti-drain back valve in them. So yeah. you you know try switching you know just for fun try switching to a Kia oil filter and see if it makes a difference. Okay, um, 
but you don't think it would cause leaks in the seals? Is that all? No, the, the, the only, the only, the only engine was probably designed in the 1990s. Yeah, yeah, the only way it would cause a leak in a seal would be if the if the only thing that's keeping the seals from leaking is sludge. Yeah, because it's a pretty synthetic oil is a pretty good cleaner. So yeah. if you um, if you switch to a if you switch to a synthetic oil on an engine that hasn't been well maintained, sometimes you can run into a leaking problem. But um, but if you've been main, if you've been changing oil every three thousand miles with conventional oil, I wouldn't yeah. I wouldn't hesitate. Well, that, that since I got the cover, I got it with eleven thousand yeah. miles. Yeah. And it didn't look like it had an oil change in eleven thousand yeah. miles. It yeah, was but, yeah but I mean, nothing's going to happen in the first twenty or thirty thousand anyway. So um, yeah, so I wouldn't. You know, I if you if you want to try synthetic oil, you know, not not a terrible thing to switch to. I think. Okay, so I shouldn't get any leaks or anything like that. No, you shouldn't. Okay. No. Thanks. I, okay. I appreciate it. All Thanks. right. 617-770-3030. Lines are open again if you want to join us. Volkswagen looks like they're going to come out with an electric Beetle. Uh, the gasoline engine Beetle will uh, exit production next year according to a British magazine called Autocar, and the electric version is awaiting a green light from Volkswagen Top Brass. According to Autocar, the electric Beetle would share platforms with the, the new little MEB electric, Beetle, Beetle platform, electric vehicle platform, which um, is going to be their little van. Uh, but it would be a front door rather than a four-door rather than a two-door. A four-door Beetle? What? They made, didn't they make one a couple years ago? No. I thought they did. No. Well, Ford or Beetle? Oh, that's the Porsche. Yeah. 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 Um, indeed, Volkswagen has contemplated four-door Beetles before. They've contemplated, but they haven't done them. Uh, the Beetle of today is a very attractive two-door coupe or convertible, but it's uh, limited in the amount of uh, cars that it can sell because it's a niche. Volkswagen boss uh, Klaus something German. Not even going to try. Um if you look at the MEB, the shortest wheelbase uh, possible, and the idea ID hatch, you have to look and could you put a beetle on it? And apparently, it's a no compromise in functionality anymore. It could be a very attractive car. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know about. I was I was very excited when the beetle came back a couple of years. Yeah. Well, well, now more than a decade ago. Yeah. Um, but it when it came back, it looked cool, but it. The thing that I loved about the Beetle was the sound that it made when it drove. The old one, you mean? Yeah, the original yeah, air-cooled one? Yeah, the one that would, yeah. Oh, it, whatever <laughs> noise it made. And it, the, the new ones just don't do it, and they don't, I don't know, there's something about them that aren't the same. Well, then you need to go to Hebert's Candy Mansion on Saturday, July 28th from 9 to 2. So when you finish up here on July 28th, you need to... Run over to Hebert's Candy Mansion, where there will be the Volks Fair taking place, presented by the the Bug Club. So you can see every kind of Volkswagen imaginable, including dune buggies, uh, camper vans, mini van, you know, little buses, all kinds of all kinds of cool Volkswagens. Where is the Candy Mansion? It's in Shrewsbury, Route Twenty in Shrewsbury. Shrewsbury, okay. yeah. So about four ninety five ish to Shrewsbury, and Good candy and ice cream. Okay. I was there. I drove by there. I had to go to a meeting in Shrewsbury, I guess, a 
couple weeks ago. I think uh, <laughs> could have been the next town over, but um, but I went by there, and as I went by there, I'm like, I got to check this out. Went back and bought a little, very expensive box of candy. Candy is expensive, it is. Uh, but I bought a little very like, labor intensive, little, 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 and it was like I don't know, like dollar and a half a piece. I think is what it worked out to be for this little box of candy, but it was really good. I have to admit. So, anyway, electric Volkswagen, but if you want to hear real Volkswagens, go to the Volks Fair in Shrewsbury on the 28th from 9 to 2 uh, at the Candy Mansion. And you can uh, you can check it all out, the Volks Fair. If you want more information about the Volks Fair, um, the New Hampshire Bug Club actually puts it on. It is uh, nhbugclub at hotmail.com, or their website is www. Do you really have to say www anymore? No. Okay, the-bug-club.com is how you how you go through and, and do that. So let's talk to Gary and Whitman. We haven't talked to Gary in a long time. Gary? Yeah, hi, John Paul. How are you? Uh, good, how are you doing? Good. Good. I just wanted, I wanted to, well, a couple of things. Uh, McLaughlin Chevrolet. Yep. They're, they're having a car show supposed to... Uh, Next Saturday. Really? Yeah, from eight to four. Okay. And uh, I think I think they've been having it on a regular basis, but they had changed. I think it was in June at one time, mm. but I think they had it last year too. But I didn't get a chance to call you in time. But this year I checked on the date. And it's no, that's 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 good. Uh, the uh, um. You know, McLaughlin Chevrolet is one of those is one of those you know independent owned Chevrolet dealers. I don't know if there's I don't know if there's a McLaughlin family still own it. Yeah, yeah, there's yep. still one of them. Yep. That's, still uh, one of them there. Yeah, but but yeah. it's kind of unusual these days that you know there's a you know kind of a kind of a you know local local you know that's not owned by that doesn't own twenty five other dealerships. So I was I always kind of like that. Yeah, because I bought my. Uh, well, the Taurus I still got. I bought it from Whitman Floyd. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. I can't even miss them. Yeah, and but, I, uh, I I drove by I drove by the old Whitman Ford the other day. It looks like uh, Midway Automotive is going to go in there. Well, they they do uh, some of their, uh, I guess, repair work. Oh, okay. Work, All right. Like okay, that, that explains it then. Yeah, yeah it didn't. Uh, Go ahead. Oh, uh, I, I, I don't get down that end of Whitman very often. So I was yep. when I saw the sign on the old Whitman Ford building. Yeah, the old days of, um, you know, every town had a Ford dealership in it, and every town had a Chevrolet dealership in it. And you know that's, you know, that's not the case anymore. And when Ford decided to do away with, you know, the the uh, the small dealerships like Whitman Ford and, um, you know, the the little dealer over in Easton and you know all these little dealerships. I don't know. I kind I kind of liked I kind of liked those little family dealerships. Uh, you know, there was that uh, the great little Pontiac dealership down in Han- uh, down in uh, uh, almost the Norwell line there for a while. You know, they they'd been around for a long time and uh, you know I I, I kind of miss I kind of miss those little family owned dealerships. And Damon had the one in Abington. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. In fact, I was, I was, uh, I ran into, a, I ran into an old uh, Votech teacher uh, a, a week or so ago at a at a car show, and he had uh, he had a pretty fancy uh, Cadillac, and I know he's got a couple other hot rods, and I I kind of joked with him. I said, "You're living pretty good for a school teacher." And he said, "Well, you have to remember, I used to own a used to own a Chevrolet dealership." 
And I kind of forgot that he did. And I said, why'd you get out of that business? And he said, it just wasn't fun selling cars anymore. He said, you know, too many, too much of the competition was, you know, banking on the idea that if they sold a certain amount of cars, they would, uh, you know, they would be able to, you know, sell for less than their cost. You know, they look at, you look at things. And I said to him, you know, the car that I recently bought, um, I ended up buying it for $1,200 less than what the dealer paid for it with the idea that they're going to make it up on other deals. And he's like, that's one of the reasons I wanted, I got out of this business because it was, it wasn't fun anymore. If you had, if you had a hope on the future to make, to be able to sell a car today, he said that was no fun. He said so. That's you know. Then he became a school teacher, which he claims was a lot of fun. So, well, well, it was nice back back in the day when you had a Chevy dealer and a Ford dealer, and they liked their cars and they were in competition yep. instead of everybody selling everybody else's cars like they do now. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny, but, even those dealers, as much as they were competitors, they were also business people in the same town. And even though oh, yeah. they wanted you as a customer and the Chevy dealer wanted you as a customer, you know, they, they'd all go to the Chamber of Commerce meeting and, you know, and, you know, and say, hey, you know, how's business? What's going on? What are you doing different? Um, you know, they, they were competitors, but they're also, you know, they're also business associates at the same time. And I don't know that you see that as much anymore. No, it's yeah. times of change. Yeah. Hey, I wanted to ask you, the uh, gentleman that called about the catalytic converters. Yep. Um, I was... I was just wondering, is it legal? Can you get a converter like from a wrecking yard? I mean, on a say if it was a low mileage vehicle that was in an accident or something. I don't know if it's legal, but but I know people do it all the time. Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't know if there was yeah. some. No, the problem but, is the problem is scrap converters are yeah. are worth you know they 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 have precious metals in them so the scrap oh. value the scrap they a lot of times when they get junk they cut the converters off of them right away and just you know put them in the scrap pile because they actually have a value oh yeah that makes yeah. sense yeah. yeah yeah oh okay okay well i just want to let you all know right that. all right thanks thanks so thanks for the information about the show okay all right take, take care, care. yep bye bye now remember, any if you have a car show that you have involvement with, or you like to go to, or whatever the case is, and you want to promote it, you can always send me an email at jpaul at aaanortheast.com. So you can send me an email, and I will be happy to try to promote the show for you. Or of course, you can call in at six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty, and I'll help. Uh, I'll help you try to promote your show. Maybe get a few more people there. Um, Pennzoil. The oil company has, uh, you know, everybody wants to get celebrities endorsing their products. At least they have, to me, the right celebrities. They have car people. They have uh, Joey Logano, uh, Pennzoil, you know, and y- y- you have to. You have to take all this with a little bit of a grain of salt. It says, you know, Pennzoil knows that driving in traffic from time to time is unavoidable. But whether it's driving a bumper bumper during rush hour or, well, you know, doing 500 miles on a track like Joey Logano, um, uh, is it the same oil? Probably not. Um, Ilio Castronovas Castronoves, um, as shown in the new My Car campaign, Ilio is uh, his car is different from you. Is not as different from your daily driver as you may think. Oh yeah, it is. It is a twin turbocharged V6 engine. Uh, yeah, and any car is a lot different than the car your daily driver. Um, and uh, Lee Pritchett, uh, her car, it's an NHRA drag car, 
And it says, uh, Pennzoil Synthetics give her the confidence she needs uh, during each and every race. You can have the same confidence when you face stop-and-go traffic. Well, no. But on the other hand, at least they have car people doing the commercials. So um, the, the, the the Honda commercial where they have the Honda Indy driver doing the commercials, he popped up in some random TV show the other day. I was watching something, and it was just sort of like whatever it was. And like, well, you know, such and such. And you're like, is you know, is that really like the commercial behind the commercial sort of thing? Um, there is, there is a, the worst one of those I ever saw was that TV show Twenty Four when it first came out, and that had a lot of Ford sponsorship, and it was jump in the F one fifty, you know. And I'm like, wow, that was a little too obvious. And uh, uh, the, the TV show Burn Notice uh, when that was out, they had a uh, they had a Hyundai, and uh, it was like, yeah, you know, when you're when you're out doing surveillance, uh, you need one kind of car, but when you're out chasing somebody, you need something sporty that handles well. And it, you know, and it never said the car, but it showed the steering wheel and you know the car handling extremely well. And, and it's like, I, I, you know, when you see that sort of commercials embedded into the program, sort of thing, branding, branding, <laughs> exactly. I, I was fine. I, you know, and. If you look at it, it's almost a little too obvious sometimes, but it's fun. Hey, look, it's B3, as uh, as Johnny would say. Oh, hey, Mr. Hello there, car doctor. How are you, sir? Uh, how are I, you, Mr. Brooks? Good. I came in. I got the good car today. I'm done. I, I the, see. I, I didn't reckon when I saw the van pull up out front. Yes, I'm I donning saw. the 2010 Dodge Grand yeah. Caravan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, wagon. so where's Sully today? Sully's a little under the weather. Is we he? got the call about 5.15 this morning. Wow. Yeah, he was feeling a bit under the weather. And so, uh, like any good family does, uh, either myself or Johnny, we're, we're always ready to hop in. Yep. So yep. Uh, no, that's what makes it great. Yeah, no, it really is. And, and you know, it, and you guys always make this kind of team kind of thing, and it's yeah, fun. It's fun. And you guys, you can tell you guys really enjoy it. Yeah, we do. Yeah. yeah, it's, it, it, yeah. Is, it is great to do. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's sad that Paul's not feeling good, but we all get along really, really well, and we all communicate with each other. Yep with uh, Carol and, and Pat, and yep. we all know what's going on. Yep. We all know what's happening. It's all no, good stuff. No, it's all, it, it is all good stuff, and it's uh, – so you, you you know, Dr. Sullivan's been around for a long time, so oh you – yeah. Yeah, and uh, – I and, don't get to see him that often, and that last week I covered for Matt, so I actually I, – I prob- oh, I come in early anyway, yeah. but I came in just to – Yeah, you were late today. You were, I you was were, late today. You were here at like 9.30, <laughs> you know. Yeah, for me that is a little bit late. You know, I had to get myself all showered and powdered and get in here. I, I understand. You know? Yeah. So you know, last minute, but it was nice to see Paul last week. We talked. He showed me a few more things that I didn't know. Yep. And it was uh, we don't get him on our Facebook that often. Right. And so we did a little uh, Facebook oh, video okay. and all stuff. And right. people okay. say, "Here's Paul Sullivan. I'm with the legend." Yeah, and yeah. and Paul is just you know he's one of those radio guys that's been around and he's just calm and collected yeah, just, and, yeah. and you know knows knows what he's doing and nothing yeah. you know nothing really bothers him but he's got this you know he's got this just detail of the music and yeah, yeah and it's uh, amazing you I, know one of his one of his commercials he does is like you know come you know it's come into the parlor sit around the stove and mm-hmm. you know tell stories and that's kind of you know that's when i when i hear him that's what i think of you know i sit back and you know i paul was the first one i started listening to 30 years yep, ago yep and i sit back and i watch for me him and matt o'donnell are the purest they have the best to me yeah the radio voice the way they just transition things i just sit back and i go and i'm still learning from them and yep. just watching how smooth they do everything well speaking of learning the piano guy says it's time for Uh-oh. me to leave and it's time for bobby brooks to fill in yep. for uh 
Paul Sullivan. So yeah. you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. That's yeah. that's what they taught me at bartender school. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> at, at you know quarter of one or yeah. whatever time it is. That's what they say. Yeah. So until next week, make sure you wear your seatbelt, be good to your car, and drive safely. Talk to you all next week. Bye bye.